Well, all right. It is uh, great to be together. Welcome to Grace here at the 915 service. It's great to see all of you. And uh, like Steve said just a moment ago, if you're a guest with us here this morning, and so if it's your first time at Grace, we do just want to extend a very, very special welcome to you. We always like to recognize, you know, if it's your first time getting connected here at Grace or it's your first time out, uh, we just like to recognize that it actually takes a lot of courage to do that. We know that if you are walking into a place you've never been to before, and you're walking into a group of people that you really don't know very much, it actually takes a lot of courage to do that. And so we just want to say, we want to recognize that. We want to say thank you if you are a guest. We hope that you feel welcome because you are welcome. And also would encourage you, if you are kind of newer, that um, if you don't have to leave too fast afterwards, maybe even just stick around for a few minutes after and get to know some other people, get a chance to talk to some people who are part. We'd love to meet you. I'd love to meet you and maybe hear a little bit of your story, how you got connected to, uh, to Grace. But if you are newer here to Grace, or maybe you've missed the past couple of weeks, what you might not know is that we are actually in the third week of a four-part series uh, that we've been calling We. And what we've been doing in this series is we've actually been taking an opportunity, just a couple weeks, to talk about some of our Grace Church values, some of the values that we share here at Grace Church. And here's kind of what we said. We said, if, you've, if you're newer to Grace, what you might not know is that Grace is sort of a unique church in that uh, we are what is called a multi-campus church. So Grace Church is one church that exists in eight different campuses. You are actually sitting in one of those eight campuses. This is the Medina East campus and is by far the um, best looking of the campuses, obviously. Have you seen yourself recently? And uh, so we got that going for us, but we are one of eight campuses uh, of Grace. And a lot of people ask the question, you know, eight campuses, one church, what is it that makes you one church? What is it that unites you? And the way we answer it is real simple. We say that really it boils down to three things. That what unites us is we, we share a common vision, we share a common mission, and then we share some common values, that we have eight values that kind of unite us. And these values, we said, are basically like sort of deeply held beliefs that really sort of help guide and, and, and direct a lot of the decisions that we make. And so we said that these, these values in a lot of ways, these are basically a mutual commitment that those who are part of grace are saying, we are pursuing these things together. They also add a lot of alignment to some of the things that we're pursuing together. And what we said a couple weeks ago was this, is we said that these, these uh, values that we're looking at, these didn't come from you know, some organizational leadership book or something like that. We said these values actually all stem from deeply held biblical convictions, that these all flow right from the Bible. And so basically, this is us trying to articulate some deeply, firmly embedded biblical convictions that we have, and it's our mutual commitment to kind of pursue those things together. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about some of those. So a couple weeks ago, if you were here, you might remember we talked about one of our values. We talked about we live to make Jesus make sense. And so we actually spent the entire time talking about that value. We said, where does that come from in the Bible? We said, how do we pursue that personally for those who follow Jesus? And we talked about how do we do that corporately as well? And then last week, if you were here, we spent some time talking about the value, we do hard things. And so we said, why would we purposefully choose to do difficult and hard things? And so we looked at the Bible, we saw what the Bible said about that, and then we talked about how does that flesh out personally in our lives, and then how does that show up corporately as well as we pursue that together. By the way, if you missed the last two weeks, you can always go back to our website, podcast, our app, you can catch up on all those things for free. And this week what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend our time thinking about the next value that we wanna look at together, and that's this value right here. So we're gonna spend the whole morning just thinking and talking about this value that we share life together. We share life together. So this is a value that we have here at Grace 
that we believe everyone who's part of grace should be pursuing together, and we believe every follower of Jesus should be pursuing in their own life. We share life together. This is such an important value to us, we put a descriptive sentence that goes along with it. And so here's some further clarification. We'd say, we share life together. We cannot live without honest relationships. We are resolved to figure out how to love God, how to love each other, and how to live on mission together. Okay, so that is, that is the value that we share. We share life together. We cannot live without honest relationships. And we're resolved to figure out how to love God, how to love each other, and then also how to live on mission together. Like I said, this value is so important to us here at Grace. If you've been coming for any amount of time, you have probably heard us talk about this in some form or another, the value of community, the value of life groups, like we talked about just a minute ago, the value of us pursuing, living, and sharing life together. I like this value so much because I think in a lot of ways, it actually articulates the apparatus by which we are trying to follow and love Jesus, right? And so this, in other words, I'll put it this way, this value is actually not the goal in itself. This value is the vehicle by which we get to the goal that we're pursuing. That as we're trying to figure out how to love God and how to love each other and be on mission as a community of people, that we have committed ourselves to saying, we're gonna do that together, okay? We're gonna share life together and we're gonna kind of resolve to be in, in, uh, in relationships in that way. So that's kind of what this value is. And like I said, man, this value comes right from the Bible and uh, you can't escape it. When you go into the, to the, to the scripture and particularly when you go into the New Testament, you're gonna find time and time again that this value of sharing life together is gonna manifest itself over and over again in the Bible. And even though it's the case, uh, I thought what we'd do this morning is I'd actually take you back to probably the hallmark passage kind of the main passage that this value flows from, and that would be Acts chapter two. And so if you have a Bible, I actually wanna encourage you, if you just go ahead and grab it and open it with me, uh, we are gonna look at Acts chapter two together as we talk about this value of sharing life. And uh, let me just say too, if you didn't bring a Bible of your own or if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, uh, feel free to grab one of the Bibles that are under the chairs. Uh, page 759 is where you're gonna find Acts chapter two. So if you need some help finding that, it's uh, page 759 in those black Bibles under the chairs. And then let me also just say too, and we, I love saying this, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, please take one of ours, okay? We'd just love it if you had a copy of the Bible that you could call your own. So Acts two is where we're gonna go, page 759 talking about the value we share life together. Now, as you're finding this, this uh, passage, I thought it might be good if I started with a quick story to sort of set up where we're going uh, in the rest of our talk today. So uh, between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I was, uh, had this opportunity to work up at a summer camp uh, in Wisconsin with a couple of my friends. And so before we were gonna head up to the summer camp to work for the summer, we decided we were gonna take a week and do something kind of fun. And so we had a mutual friend that we went to school with who lived out in Colorado. He lived in a place called Buena Vista, Colorado. And he worked at a uh, white, white water uh, uh, rafting place. And so basically we said, what we're gonna do is we're gonna load up our car and we're gonna go out to Buena Vista, Colorado. And, uh, and we are going to camp for a week. We're gonna visit our friend. We're gonna go camping in the mountains. We are going to go whitewater rafting and it's gonna be a blast. Now, mind you, uh, the three of us that went out there, we had never been to Colorado. Uh, none of us had ever seen the Rocky Mountains with our own eyes. And none of us had actually ever done any legit camping. Like we'd done backyard camping, but not like legit camping. And so we're like, we're gonna figure it out. And so we got in the car and we drove, you know, 30 plus hours, whatever it takes to get to 
Buena Vista, Colorado. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Buena Vista, Colorado, if you've ever seen it, but it is one of the most breathtaking, spellbinding, beautiful landscapes you could ever see. I'll tell you, it, it, it might be one of the most beautiful places my eyes have ever seen. I have to show you a picture of it. This is a picture of Buena Vista, Colorado. It is this little town. It is nestled in what is uh, sometimes uh, uh, referred to as the Sawatch Mountain Range. And what's interesting about the Sawatch Mountain Range, this, this range right here, is that uh, it's known because it has 14 mountains that are over 14,000 feet. So you're talking about extremely high altitudes, mountain climbers and mountain bikers sometimes call these the 14ers and uh, very challenging and those type of things. And so, so here we come, three Ohio boys, and we're riding on over, never been here. And so we set up camp somewhere back here, somewhere in this mountain range, we set up camp with our Walmart tent and Walmart sleeping bags, right? So we're back here. And I remember when we got there, we had driven all night long. And by the time we got there, it was like maybe a little bit afternoon. So it was sort of midday, noonish, something like that. So we, we set up the tent and we got everything ready. And I remember, man, we were so, we were young and we were excited and we were just like, this is awesome. And we were so hyped up at how beautiful this place was, how huge everything was. And we were so tired of sitting in the car for so long that we were just like, man, we gotta do something. Like, this is so cool. We got to do something. And so we said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to climb a mountain. That's what we're going to do. And none of us had ever climbed a mountain before. And so we're like, we're going to climb a mountain. And we're like, yeah, let's do it. We're like, we're in. We're like, which mountain are we going to climb? And I remember we were just like, that one, right? And we just picked one. We said, that one. It looks close. It doesn't look very big. It was the smaller of the mountains that were around. Like, let's climb that one. We said, great, let's do it. And I remember we said, how long do you think it's going to take us to get from where we are to up there and back? And we said, I don't know, yeah, a couple hours maybe, a couple hours, something like that. It didn't look very far, right? Now, some of you guys are chuckling because you know what we didn't. And so we set off. And because we thought it was only going to be a couple hours, um, none of us thought to bring anything with us. And so we just went with what we got. And so what I had on was I had on some tennis shoes, I had some jeans, and I had on a T-shirt. And that was it. And my other friend, he had on shorts and flip-flops and a cutoff. And then my other buddy, he was the only one who actually thought to put on a hooded sweatshirt. And then between the three of us that went up, only one of us thought to bring water. So there was only one bottle of water between the three of us. So we started walking and uh, started going up the base of this mountain. About an hour and a half in, you know, you can imagine the first hour, we are just, you know, we are having the time of our life. We're jumping off of rocks. We're like joking around. We're like, like in awe of everything that's happening. After about an hour and a half, I remember it started to dawn on us what we had just done because I remember looking back at the campsite and looking up at the mountain and thinking, wow, it doesn't look like we've really made much progress at all. And we started to realize in Colorado, things are much bigger than they seem. And so I remember we said to each other, like, man, this is going to take longer than we thought. And we're like, yeah, but, you know, we're committed. We're going to make it. We're getting to the top of this mountain. So we kept going. Over the next several hours, uh, the mountain got steeper, right? And so it went from, like, kind of just walking. It went to, like, I mean, climbing. And then the air got colder. And I mean, like, substantially colder. Like we were, you ever have it when your hands are like so numb, you have a hard time picking stuff up. It was like that. And then I remember the air got, started to get thin. I remember at one point I was like, man, my head hurts. And the guys were like, me too. And we, we had never been to this altitude before. 
and had no idea the kind of effects that it has on you because we just didn't know. We were just kind of dumb and didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. I remember it got to a point where we were were like, we're gonna get to the top of that mountain. We're gonna get there. And I remember it got to the point where we recognized we absolutely needed each other. Like, if we're gonna do this, we absolutely need each other. And so we actually got to a place where we all started to share that hooded sweatshirt, Uh, not at the same time, Uh, but we... (laughs) We took turns. We're like, you wear it for five minutes and then you wear it for five minutes and I'll wear it for five minutes. We had to share the water we had. And so we said, we're gonna proportion it and ration it. And we think this is the way we gotta do it. We had to, at times, boost each other up to help each other up some of the steeper parts of the mountain. We had to take turns leading and following each other. We had to take turns giving each other pep talks. I remember at one, one point I thought to myself, I don't think I'm gonna make it. And not to the top, I mean like in general. I'm like, I don't think this is the end of it for us. I think we're gonna die on this mountain. And, and so anyway, hours later, I don't even know how many hours later, more than I can, I can even probably calculate, we finally got to the top of this mountain. And I gotta tell you, when we got there, we got there right when the sun was going down, uh, which presented a whole other set of problems thinking about the way down. But it was one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen. I mean, you wanna talk about a mountaintop experience. It really was. It was Breathtaking. And I remember the three of us, we just stood up there and we stood up there for probably, you know, 10 minutes of just silence of how beautiful, how unbelievable. We just thought, man, how cool. And then we ended up coming back down the mountain. Actually, it took, it, it took us a lot quicker to get down the mountain than it did to get up the mountain. And we ended up being okay. And I'll just tell you that whole experience, man, we got to experience a mountaintop experience and we bound together because we got to have that experience together. Now, why do I tell you that? All right, well, here's the reason I tell you that is because Admittedly, there's all kinds of things we should have known before we got in those mountains, right? We were dumb and we were young and we're actually pretty lucky we made it out alive, right? But here's the thing. I know that there is no way we could have got through that experience. There's no way we could have climbed that mountain and got back down without each other. And we absolutely needed each other to do that. Now, the reason I tell you that is this, because I am convinced, I am convinced that for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know not everyone in here today follows Jesus, some of you are still investigating that, but I'm convinced that for those of us who follow Jesus, when we say yes to climbing the mountain of discipleship to Christ, I think that in many ways for some of us, we say yes, and there's so many things that we are not prepared for and what it actually means to follow Jesus. For some of us, we said yes to following Jesus and maybe in our minds, we thought that following Jesus meant that our lives were somehow gonna get easier and our lives were gonna get less difficult. And what we actually find is that when we say yes to following Jesus, that while there's incredible joy and there's incredible mountaintop experiences that God desires for us, that there is challenge along the way. That actually in some ways, following Jesus complicates your life more than it makes it easier. And I think what we find and what we realize is that if we are going to climb the mountain of discipleship to Jesus, that we need each other. And listen, God made it that way. God made it that way that we need each other if we're actually gonna follow him and we're experiencing all that he wants for us. What do you think about this? This thought occurred to me the other day and I thought it was interesting. If you are a follower of Jesus in this room, and again, I know not everybody is, but if you are a disciple of Christ, we are the only followers of Jesus in 21st century America, Medina, Ohio, who are trying to figure out what does it look like to love God? What does it look like to love each other? And what does it look like to live on mission in this world that we live in? No one else is doing that. There's been no other followers of Jesus Christ in the history of humanity that are navigating the unique terrain that we are right now. 
What does it look like to follow Jesus in a media-driven culture? What does it look like to value Christ in a culture that oftentimes very much doesn't do that? And we need each other to figure those things out. And so as we climb the mountain of discipleship, we basically are saying, man, we gotta be resolved that we're gonna share life together as we do this. Now, I wanna tell you the passage that we're about to look at in Acts chapter two, one of the reasons I took you, I took you there is because this is a mountaintop passage. And what we're gonna see here is one of the most beautiful pictures of what it looks like to share life together. But what I also want to point out to you in this passage is I wanna show you, when you look at this, I wanna show you what did it take this group of people to experience and to climb to this place. I think we're gonna see it. So let's take a look. We're gonna start at Acts uh, chapter two. We're gonna start off in verse 42. And just to clarify, by the way, what we're gonna be looking at here, this is actually church day one. Okay, so this is the first time church ever begins in the Bible is in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells a group of followers of Christ. And this is the beginning of the church as we know it. And here's the description it says about this group of people. Look, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, so, so really short passage. But I think what you see in here is you see this mountaintop kind of passage that explains to us this incredible community that these people were able to share together. Now, there's so much we could say about this passage. In fact, there's so much we have said about this passage. If you've been coming around Medina for any length of the time, you've, you've probably heard us teach on this passage because we keep going back to it over and over again because we believe that this is a beautiful picture of what God intends and desires to do among his people. But what I want you to notice here this morning is I wanna point out something in this passage that I think is easy to overlook, but I think that it is the key to helping understand this whole passage. Now, there is a word that is used in this passage that everything is kind of built off of. And I don't know if you noticed it, but it is actually found in verse 42. I just wanna show this to you. It's so key to understanding this whole passage. And it's this word right here. It is the word devoted. So notice what it says. It says that they, this group of people, this, this group of Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship of the breaking of bread and of prayer. They were devoted. They were devoted. One of the things, one of the staple characteristics of this community of people was that they were a people who were devoted to certain things. There was a devotion about them. And this is a really important word. Some of you might have different translations in your Bible. And if you do, it might say it this way. It might say they continued steadfastly. That's what some translations say. Or your translation might say this. It might say they were continually devoting themselves to certain things. This is a really powerful word. The word devotion in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, is actually this word right here. And it literally means to earnestly endure with or persevere alongside. It is to occupy oneself diligently with something. It is to pay persistent attention to. So you get this idea. This is a group of people who were saying, we are devoted to something. We are steadfastly persistent in some things. In other words, they were saying, we're stubborn about some stuff. There are some things that we are resolved in, that we are committed to. 
And I'm just telling you, this word right here, you'll notice it's off of this word that everything else in this passage hangs. And so notice again in verse 12, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All of these references are basically hanging on this idea of devotion. They all point back to This is a group of people that was saying, we are steadfastly going to endure, we are committed, and we are resolved about some certain things. And what were those things? Well, let's just look again. Notice first off, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's what the Bible says. Now, what's that mean? Well, in other words, what this is saying is, this is a community of people who were devoted to learning. They were devoted to learning. And learning what? They were devoted to learning the apostles' teaching. Now, some of you are like, what's the apostles' teaching exactly? Well, it's actually pretty neat. We actually know exactly what the apostles taught. And so the apostles were basically Jesus' disciples who went on to be early church leaders. And what the apostles taught is they would have taught a few things. First off, they would have taught what Jesus taught. So they would have conveyed the message that Jesus Christ himself taught. They would have taught about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and about how that affects your life. And they also would have taught about how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so basically they would have taught the Old Testament They would have taught the things that Jesus taught, and then they would have taught about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and how that affects our life. So in other words, if I could put it simply, they basically taught, and what they learned was the Bible. It was the Bible. I don't know if you know that, but that's actually what the Bible is. What is the Bible? It is the Old Testament. It is the teachings of Jesus. That's what the Gospels are. And then it is the rest of the books of the New Testament. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the criteria for the books of the New Testament is they had to have been either written by an apostle or authorized by an apostle. And so we have the apostles' teaching. That's what the Bible is. So this is a group of people that was committed to learning the Bible and then living it together, right? So they were devoted to that. Notice the second thing. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to scripture. They were devoted to fellowship, to fellowship. Now, man, I think this is so unfortunate. The word fellowship is one of those words that has become so stale and it seems like it's been so, become so like archaic that a lot of times, like if you didn't grow up in church or if you're not a religious person, the word fellowship can sound bizarre. And quite honestly, it can sound a little bit creepy. Right? Like imagine if someone came up to you and they're like, hey, uh, later on this afternoon, you wanna get together? We could have some fellowship. You guys wanna have some fellowship? Just a couple fellas in a ship. Just have some. We'll have some fellowship. Like if someone said that, you'd be like, dude, no, I, I you're, creeping me out right now, quite honestly. What you're saying sounds mildly inappropriate, so no, I don't wanna have any fellowship with you. That's unfortunate because the word's actually super powerful. The word in the Greek language is koinonia, and it literally means to have a shared life together. In other words, this is a group of people that were saying, we are, listen, we're devoted to loving each other. We're devoted to figuring out how we love God, but also how we love each other. We're gonna share life together. It's basically the commitment that they had. And notice this, the Bible says that they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching of fellowship to the breaking of bread. And some of you are like, so is that talking about like eating? Like they were devoted to eating? Because I like that idea. And, uh, and let me just say here, yeah, this is a group of people that ate together. We're gonna find that out. But most likely when it says the breaking of bread, what that's probably referring to is probably communion. Uh, these, these people would come together and they would uh, take communion. They would take the bread and the cup. And what you might not know is that communion is actually an act of remembrance. That's what it is. It's remembering Jesus' broken body and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. In other words, this was a group of people that was committed to learning. They were committed to loving and they were committed to remembering. They said, we are going to remind ourselves constantly of what Jesus has done for us. 
And we're gonna be a people who is marked by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And then lastly, they devote themselves to prayer. Devote themselves to prayer. They were a praying community. They said, we're gonna seek out God's will for each other and God's way for our lives. And we're gonna ask God and pray for him to help lead and guide those things. And they were devoted to these things. I'll tell you what's so cool is the Bible says that because of their devotion to these things, to these things, there were some outcomes, that there were some, there were some, there were some uh, byproducts that flowed from this devotion. And what would those include? Well, the passage tells us, and look at this, this is an amazing picture. This is a mountaintop picture. Look what it says. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. I love that. The Bible says this was a community that was marked by their sense of awe. They were all filled with awe because of the amazing things that God was doing in their midst. I like the word awe here. Some of you have translations that say they were filled with fear and awe. It's actually a really interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word phobos. It's where we get phobia from. And so the idea is that this was a group of people that was like, they were filled with awe, but fear at the same time. And some of you are like, what's that talking about? What do they have to be afraid of? Well, I think what this is referring to is it's referring to the fear or the holy terror that is related to the sense of, of God's divine presence. In other words, this is, the, this is the feeling produced when someone realizes that God is at hand. Just ask, you ever have that before? You ever been full of fear and awe because you just witnessed God work in a way that was so undeniably him that you were like, oh my gosh. But at the same time, you were like, oh my gosh. It is, it is the terror of knowing that you have just witnessed something so powerful that it is so beyond you, that it is awe-inspiring. It is frightening. You guys ever experienced that before? Have you ever been in a place where you have watched God so clearly work that you were like, oh my gosh, we just watched the invisible hand of God made visible and it is awesome and it is terrifying. You ever seen that before? I'm telling you, that's awesome. That is awesome when you see that. And this is a group of people who got to experience that. I was actually thinking about this this past week, the idea of awe and fear, the combination. I actually had uh, this feeling this past week. And so uh, last Sunday, I was helping a friend of mine uh, move some stuff. And uh, you guys remember last Sunday, there was a big thunderstorm that happened. And so I was helping my buddy move some stuff. And as we were moving stuff, it started to rain. So he and I are talking and we're kind of standing out in the rain and we're talking about some stuff. And as he and I are talking and it's raining, which I've already said that, um, over here, like in my, I'm, I'm facing him this way, over here in like to, to the side, we just see this, this giant flash of light, like maybe 100, 200 yards away, giant flash of light, and then just a sonic boom, and lightning just struck like right there. And I remember both of us, like we obviously, as soon as it happened, like you can't talk, and we both were just like, and we like ran, like to, we ran, like we could outrun a bolt of lightning that just happened. And like we ran and then we, we just started laughing. We were just like, <laughs> like we almost died. And it was, it was a sense of, um, oh my gosh, there's something so powerful and fear. Like you gotta respect that. That is power, 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 right? And I'm just saying, this is a group of people who are marked by that. They got to experience that God at work in their midst. How cool. I mean, this church was anything but boring. It's got to watch God work in powerful ways. Look at this. The Bible says, in addition to all of that, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone 
who was in need. One of the outcomes of their devotion was that everyone's needs were met. And the Bible says that people displayed a radical generosity and a radical reprioritization in their lives. This isn't communism, by the way. This was not forced upon them. This was completely voluntary. It was because the, the work of God was happening in their hearts and it was overflowing through their lives. Notice another outcome was relationships. The Bible says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. Notice one of the results of their devotion and their common commitment to follow Jesus together was that they forged deep friendships with each other. These are people that were together like every day, for the most, almost every day, they're getting together, they're hanging out, they're eating each other's houses, talking about the cool things that God is doing in their midst. Deep friendships were a result. And look at this, joy, joy. The Bible says that they had glad and sincere hearts. And, uh, and you know, this is a group of people, by the way, that we know they had some problems. They had some issues, right? This is a group of people who was facing extreme persecution. This is a group of people who had some serious needs. And yet the Bible says that there's this, this deep sense of joy that defined who they were. So they experienced joy. And then look at this last thing. The last thing we notice is one of the outcomes of their devotion was mission. The Bible says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know, when you read this passage, just when you think that this is some inclusive, ingrown group, that it's, you know, us for, you know, no more, shut the door. Just when you get that impression, you come to realize that that's not the way they were at all because this is a group of people who must have been very inviting to outsiders because people who were outside of, of, of their belief system were being drawn in and every day they were watching people come to know Jesus and experience this transformation. And so what you see is you see all these incredible mountaintop effects, right? awe and relationships and needs being met. And man, God is working among their midst and there's mission and there's joy and you see all this. And here's what I want you to notice in this passage is all of this that happens in this passage would never have happened if this group of people wasn't willing to be devoted. In fact, if I could map out the passage this way, I would kind of draw it this way. What you notice in this passage is this group of people was devoted, right? They were devoted to a few things. They were devoted to learning, to loving, to remembering, and to praying. They were devoted to learning God's word and living it out. They were devoted to loving each other in fellowship. They were devoted to remembering the things that God had done in communion. And they were devoted to praying together. And as a result of their devotion to these four things, the Bible says that there were certain outcomes that flowed out of that. That as a result of that, they experienced the awe of watching God work. They saw their needs being met among them. There was friendships, there was joy, and there was mission. And it's interesting, when I was reading this passage, I couldn't help but think to myself, I think that this is a really good picture of what God's part and what our part is in the transformation that he desires for us through sharing life together. Because just think about this for a minute. What is God's part up here? What is God's part? And can I just tell you, I, I'm convinced that God's part is everything from here over. This is all stuff that only God can truly accomplish. And so for example, the Bible, like who, who is it who has preserved for us the word of God? Like God is the one who has done that for us. We did nothing for that, but we have it in our hands right now. It's amazing. Um, each other, the church, who is it who has provided and built the church? It's Jesus who's done that. Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is the work of God. Um, communion, the fact that Jesus gave his life for us, that is all God's doing. Prayer, the fact that we can come boldly into the throne room of God, 
That is because Jesus has allowed us to do that and he has offered us the invitation to do so, eliminating every barrier. This is all what God does and all of these outcomes are things that God produces. Joy and awe and watching God work and deep friendships and mission, all those things are byproducts of what God can accomplish. So here's the question then. If that's all of what God does, what do we do? What's our part in the equation? I think it's pretty obvious. This is our part. Our part is right here. Just one thing is that we have to be devoted. And that when we become devoted to these things that matter to God, it's going to flow into a transform, transformed life and it's gonna bear fruit in our lives in some pretty powerful ways. See, if it was not for the devotion of these early Christians, I think they would have missed out on all of these things that God desired for them. Can I tell you, I think it's the same thing for you and I who follow Jesus here today. I think honestly, honestly, when we miss out on the devotion to these things, we miss out on so many of the resources and so much of the transformation that our heavenly father so much wants for us in our lives. You know, I think for, for a lot of us, if I'm being honest, I think we read a passage like this and we want the mountaintop experience. We want the mountaintop of experience of watching God work in powerful ways. We want the mountaintop experience of having our needs met among each other, not just physical but psychological, relational, emotional needs being met. I think we want friendships. We, we crave that kind of intimacy with other people. I think we want joy. We want mission. We want all of these things. We want the mountaintop experience. But quite honestly, for many of us, we want to skip the challenging climb of devotion. This is how they got there. They were devoted to some things and God worked through those things to create transformation in their lives. Um, I love the way um, one author put it. Her name is Mitzi Smith. She's actually the New Testament, uh, a New Testament scholar uh, over at Ashland Theological Seminary. Here's what she said, she said about this passage. She said, ultimately, it is God who saves and expands the community. So she's like, this is God, only God does this kind of thing. But notice what she says next, but not without our cooperation, not without our cooperation. We play part in this. God worked in and through people willing to teach and be taught, to believe in, to perform and receive signs and wonders and to create mutual koinonia or community. And what she's saying there is really good, right? And what she's saying is it's because these people were willing to be devoted that God was able to work in the ways that he worked. I like what she's saying. I'll put it another way. Here's how I think of it. So all of us have probably received a gift card at some point or another as a gift. Uh, it's a great gift when someone, it's a thoughtful gift when someone gives you a gift card because what have they done? someone gives you a gift card, what they have done is they have already pre-purchased for you a card that has resources that are already available to you in advance. And so you could take that and you can go somewhere and you can spend that. So let's just say, for example, someone came and they gave you a Chipotle gift card, right? So someone did that, which by the way, is the greatest act of love that you can do for your fellow man, right? Is give them the beautiful bounty of Chipotle. So someone comes in, they give you a, a Chipotle gift card. What have they just done? Here's what they've done. They have pre-purchased for you uh, resources that gain you access to the riches of Chipotle. And so you can go in there and you can redeem that thing and you have access now to the burrito and the guacamole and the amazing resources of Chipotle. All of us know this though, right? Gift card is completely worthless. It's completely worthless unless you actually show up and cash it in. Otherwise, it's just totally... In fact, I don't know if you knew this or not. This was crazy. I actually went and uh, studied this because I thought it was interesting. Do you know how much money is made in unused gift cards um, according to statisticians? One, get this, one billion. One billion dollars goes unused or goes, goes unaccounted for uh, in unused gift cards. 
That means that there is $1 billion of resources that are being untapped, that are sitting in our kitchen drawers or sitting in your wallets or whatever it is right now that just isn't being used at all. Now, listen, here's, here's what I believe with all my heart, okay? I believe that when Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, that in so doing, he has purchased for us, he has purchased for us all of the resources that we need for transformation in this life. I believe that when Jesus Christ came and when he died on the cross for us and that when he and he was raised to new life, that he has pre-purchased for us all the resources that are necessary for us to grow the way he desires. And the Bible even says that God has given us everything that we need for this life in this God and for godliness. He has purchased it all for us and he has made it available. But here's the thing, you gotta cash it in. You gotta cash it in. And I think so much of the transformation that God desires for us happens when we cash it in, in the devotion to sharing life together. When we're willing to be devoted to these things, it leads to the transformation that God desires. So here's the question you might be asking yourself. All right, well, you're talking about this idea of we share life together. How do, you, how do we do that here at Grace? How do we pursue that? Grace is a big church. We have four services. How do we actually pursue this? And because of that, that's why, you know, here practically speaking at Grace, that's why we talk so much about life groups. If you ever wonder what are life groups about, this is what they're about. We are trying to pursue together this picture that we see in Acts chapter two, that we wanna be a group of people who are saying we want a place where we are resolved to loving God, loving each other, and being on mission together. We wanna share life together. We wanna be like the, the people in the book of Acts who wanna be devoted to some things devoted to learning and living what God says in the word, to loving each other in koinonia, in community, to remembering what God has done for us on the cross and in praying for each other. We'll be devoted to these things. And life group is the way in which we kind of pursue those things together. So I just wanna encourage you, you know, if you've never gotten connected to a life group and you're a person who's not experiencing anything we're talking about here in Acts 2, I just encourage you to take some steps that way. And you know, out in the cafe, we talked about this just a moment ago. There's some cards out there. We encourage people. We know that going to a life group is really intimidating. Most of our life groups meet in people's homes in our community. And so that can be intimidating. Going to someone's house, you don't know that person. It can be weird. And I was telling you that I think that this is, this is a huge step to take in that direction. Here's what we encourage people to do. If you've never connected to a life group, we encourage you to take a few cards, try out a few. Try out a few of the life groups and try to find one that maybe is the best fit for you, that you're like, man, I just feel like I connect here. I feel like this, you know, maybe I, you know somebody there. And then listen, and then when you find one, we, we encourage you to, to devote yourself to it, to jump in, to be part of it. And it's not because we think that you're like a, like a you know, a, you're a, a, a varsity level Christian if you do. It's because we're all trying to pursue this growth together. We believe that this is how God changes us and how we grow. So I think in light of this, let me just, let me just, just close out by speaking to four different audiences very quickly. And then I wanna give one challenge to everybody and then we're done. All right, so here, here's challenge number one. This is for those who are maybe, or, or audience number one, this is for those who are maybe investigating Jesus. So if you're a person that's here today and you would say you're not a follower of Christ, you're investigating Jesus, you're not sure what you believe about the whole thing. And by the way, we say this all the time, if that's you, 
Now, we're so glad you're here. We count it such an honor and a privilege that you would let us be part of that investigation. You could do anything you want with your time. And so the fact that you're here, we, we just, we don't take that lightly. But if you're a person that's investigating Jesus, let me just say, you might be hearing this, you might be saying, ah, this is really great, but I think I might've showed up on the wrong weekend. Because it sounds like this is all a bunch of insider talk. Like you guys are talking about what Christians should do and the way Christians should believe. And this, this idea of biblical community is like, it's good for everybody, but not for me. And so, um, so this is probably a good message for everybody else, but not for me. And let me just tell you, um, I don't want you to hear it that way. In fact, I would actually encourage you, if you're a person who's investigating Jesus, and I mean you really are truly investigating it, like for real, I actually would encourage you to get connected to a life group. And you're like, well, why is that? Okay, well, let me see if I can, this might sound weird to you, but let me see if I can explain it this way, because this is what we believe. If you're trying to find God right now, and you're trying to figure out if Jesus is, is the real deal, where are you going to go to experience the presence of God? Where are you gonna go to do that? Now, some people will tell you, you need to go to a cathedral, you need to go to a mosque, you need to go to a church, you need to go to you know, whatever. That's where you're going to meet with God is in those places. Someone might tell you, no, you can meet with God wherever. And so you can go out in the woods and you can you know, go by a quiet brook of water and meet with God there. And let me just say, to some extent, that's true because God is available anywhere. You can talk to God and he's accessible anywhere. But I also need to tell you that the Bible is very clear that God's presence dwells uniquely in one place on this earth, uniquely. And that is in his people. It's in the church. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says about the, about the people who follow Jesus that we are the body of Christ, what does that mean? It means that we are the physical, visible manifestation of the presence of God made known to the community and world around us. And we're not perfect people by any stretch of the imagination, but the Bible's gonna say that when we're together, that God dwells with us. And so listen, if you, if you truly are investigating and you wanna know God and you wanna connect with him, the Bible would look and say, it's actually important that you get around his people. I think because of that, it's really important that you get connected to a life group. You don't have to believe everything people believe there. You're gonna find that people are imperfect there, just like you, just like me, just like all of us. But you're gonna find that God is doing something unique among that group of people, all right? Audience number two, if you're a person who's in this room and you are a follower of Jesus, but you have never experienced anything like what we're talking about today, maybe for you, your entire Christian life has been characterized by going to church one hour a week, you know, or maybe less than that, uh, whatever, and it's just like, you know, I go to church and then there, I have the rest of my life and, and this whole idea of like sharing life and being, it's just, I've never experienced that before. And I know if that's you, if you've never experienced anything like this, I know that this could sound maybe compelling to you, but it also can sound terrifying to you because let's just be honest, people are exhausting. They're exhausting. You're exhausting. I am exhausting. I exhaust myself. And so the idea of us connecting our lives together, quite honestly, for some of us, it just sounds so tiring to think about that. And it's like, wow, that just sounds so tough. Quite honestly, for some of you, the idea of opening yourself up to other people is so scary to you because you're so afraid of actually being known by another person. Maybe for some of you, you're so scared that if you open up and someone actually knew you, they would see how messed up you are, just like the rest of us, and we're all messed up, man. But can I just tell you this, that if you're a follower of Christ, I believe this with all my heart. I think you are one faith step away, one faith step away 
from experiencing transformation that your heavenly father wants for you and so much joy that comes with that. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, but I think it comes in saying, I'm willing to be devoted. I'm gonna check out some of this stuff. I'm gonna get connected. I'm gonna be devoted to it. Audience number three, maybe you're a person who had this. You're a follower of Jesus and there was a time in your life when you experienced something like this. Now, not perfectly, but man, you saw glimpses of it and you were in community and you were devoted in these ways and you were with a group of people and it was awesome, but somewhere along the line, you lost your devotion and maybe you got burnt, maybe you got hurt or maybe, maybe you just got distracted. Maybe other priorities started to compete and you started to drift away and it took you away from this. And can I just say that if that's you, I'm guessing there's probably two things that are true about you. Number one is when you look back at that time in your life, you would probably say that was the time you grew the most spiritually. And then number two, you probably would say that you haven't grown much since you left. And I think that's because of God's design. Now, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Don't feel bad about that. The beautiful thing about God's grace is that unlike a gift card, right? Unlike a gift card, God's, God's riches don't expire. And so you always have access to come back. And so consider this an invitation back into devotion. I mean, for some of you, you gotta get back in the game. It's just time to get back on the horse. I know you got hurt. I know it was hard. And I'm not saying this is gonna be easy, but I believe that if we believe that what the Bible's actually teaching us is real, this is gonna lead to true transformation. Audience number four. Some of us in this room are devoted to this and we are currently pursuing this in our life right now. And my hope is, listen, that maybe this conversation will be reinvigorating to you. Because let's be honest, it's hard. Following Jesus and being committed and being devoted to a group of people is challenging. Climbing a mountain is difficult. It's difficult. But my hope is that even as we just get a a snapshot of the mountaintop that God wants for us, that it would reinvigorate us and that it would recultivate a heart inside of us to pursue what God desires. So here's my challenge. My challenge is for everybody in this room, triple dog dare. That's right, I threw it down. Here it is, all right? And this is actually, I met with our, uh, my life group this past week and I actually looked at my life group and we talked about this very same topic. And I said to them, I said, listen, we don't just wanna be hearers of the word, we wanna be doers of the word too because that's the only way you, we can only transform if we do it. So I said, um, so here's what I wanna ask you. I said this to my life group and I just asked this to you too. I said, would you be willing to take a big, bold step of faith and would you be willing to commit yourself to being devoted to this group or to a group? Would you be willing to be devoted to it? And I said, because we're Americans and we like timelines, I said, from now until the end of this year, so, so till 2000, you know, uh, December 31st, 2019, would you be willing to say, I am going to be, devo- I'm committing to being devoted to this group? And I said, so here's what that means. You're like, what does it mean to be devoted? I said, well, here's what it means. I'll just define it for you. Number one is I am being devoted to, first off, being real. That I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to be real. That if I I had a bad day, I'm not not gonna feel like I'm gonna have to pretend like I didn't. I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna be honest. If me and my spouse got in a fight on the way to group that night, then we're gonna be honest about that. In fact, we all wanna hear about it anyway. So, so tell, talk about it, right? Listen, I just, I just want you to hear me on this. We're only gonna be as healthy as we are real. And if we're not willing to be real with each other, man, it's just, it's gonna be exhausting. It's just gonna be fake. It's gonna be this dumb show 
That's so hard to maintain. So we gotta be willing to be like, all right, we're just gonna, we're gonna keep it real. We're gonna be real. We gotta commit that. Number two, showing up. I said it means I'm committing to showing up. And what I mean by that is I don't mean like we're gonna be militant about it. And if you don't show up, we're gonna show up at your doorstep with a gun or nothing like that, right? Nothing cultish or creepy. But I'm just saying, listen, prioritize it. Prioritize, put it in the calendar. That when, 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 when it's like between you know, staying at home in my give up pants and watching Netflix or going to group, I'm going to group because I've committed to it, right? That if it's between, you know, oh, someone invited me to such and such, no, it's in the calendar, I'm going. Now, if you're sick, you're sick. If you're out of town, you're out of town, whatever. But it's, I'm showing up, I'm gonna be there. Number three, I'm committed to serving others, that I'm not gonna take a passive stance, I'm gonna take an active stance, that I wanna use the uniquenesses of who I am and my spiritual gifts to serve other people. And then this one, to being served. I honestly think this one's probably harder for most of us. This one's harder for me that I have to admit to you that I have needs and I actually need your help. That's difficult. I'll be honest, I have no problem serving you because if I serve you, it makes me feel awesomer than you, right? (laughs) But that's real hard. When I have to look at you and say, I actually need you, I need you, I, I need help. I need you to pray for me. I can't bear this alone. I'm struggling. Would you help me? That's tough. But that's real. That's community. I think that's what God wants for us. Praying for others. You know, pray for each other. A lot of groups do group me or they have Facebook uh, pages where they share prayer requests. It's we're gonna jump in, we're gonna pray. And then lastly, that we're gonna partner in God's mission together. That this is not just about us being about us. It's about us pursuing something. We're climbing a mountain together. And the mountain is that we wanna look like Jesus, we wanna love God, we wanna love each other. I wanna be on mission for him together. So I asked my group to commit to those things and I would look at you and I would say, maybe for you, maybe for you, that is the step that you need to take. Is you need to say, I'm gonna be devoted. I'm gonna gonna find a crew, I'm gonna get together with them, I'm gonna find a group and I'm gonna be devoted to it for this season, from now until the end of this year. And here's what I promise you, because I want you to hear me. This isn't like, if you, if you hear this as like a legalistic, like you have to do this or you don't love Jesus, you're not listening to me the right way. And I wouldn't want you to commit to something like that. But the reason it, that I'm asking you to commit to something like this and consider it is because I believe that if you do, that because of your devotion, it will lead to transformation that God desires for you and God desires for me. So our value, we share life together. We cannot live without honest relationships. We are resolved to figure out how to love God, love each other and live on mission together. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to say thank you that uh, you shared your life with us. How easy it would have been for you to uh, stay detached from humanity, to not come into our situation. But Jesus, you, you came to us and you humbled yourself and you dwelt among us and you gave your life for us. You shared your life and you gave your life for us. And it's because of that example of what you've done that you have built something so amazing and the community of people that surround themselves with others who follow you that are centered on these incredible truths of the gospel, of your word, of prayer, of of the love that we have for one another. And so God, I pray that you would just help some of us, Lord, here today, help all of us to see that what you desire for us is, is not because you want something from us, it's because you want something for us. God, help us to see that you're a good father who really does care about us, that you love us a lot. 
and that you gave us access to all of the resources of heaven for our transformation and our growth. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to take advantage of that. Help us to, uh, to, to commit ourselves to being people who wanna follow you. So God, I pray that you transform us and we pray that you continue to, uh, to work in our hearts in this. I pray in Christ's name, amen.